Oh my goodness, you crazy son of a bitch. Do you have any idea what you've just done? You've just discovered the Marts and Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is the show that may or may not be an hour long based on your perception of time and how much I've got to say. So strap yourselves in and prepare your ears for the journey of a lifetime with your host of the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour, me, you idiot. Welcome to the Martin Lestrap Show Podcast Hour. This is episode number 69. And before we move ahead with this episode, I'm going to have to ask all of you to please, please uh, engage the inner grown-up that I know is inside of you. Uh, have a little bit of a maturity and, and a dash of class. And please, no jokes about this being episode 69. We're all thanking it. All right. You, listen, you're off the hook. We're all thinking it, myself included. 69. Ha ha ha. Very funny number. But let's be cool. Let's uh let's not make episode 69 any any more insecure than it probably already is, you know? I mean, let's face it. Episode 69 did not choose its number. Okay? This was this was just the this was the number it got. It's not episode 69's fault that the number that it got also happens to be the punchline to a very old and cliched adolescent joke. So, you know, get it out of your system. 69, 69, 69. 69. 69, by the way, also happens to be uh, Bill and Ted's favorite number for anybody who remembers that little bit of trivia. So not only is it the number of this week's episode, but you know Bill and Ted like it as well. Although you know if I'm if you know probably Bill and Ted they're probably not the only the only people who like sixty nine. I'll bet you that there's people all over all over the country who like sixty nine. In fact, there's probably there, there's probably you know maybe you listener. I mean, listen, I don't I don't want to go around trying to guess your favorite number, but if I had to guess, then uh, there's a very good chance that uh, you listener like 69 as well I don't know you might even love 69 I have no I listen it's your life I'm not you know I my my role here is simply to uh is simply to host a podcast and and you know see if I can't entertain your ears for you know uh, an hour or so uh anything beyond that you know including whatever you do with you know 69 that's that's your business just uh you know just uh, uh, you know, just be safe and you know maybe maybe do a little stretching first. I don't even know what that means. I, how did we even get here? Sixty nine. For goodness' sake, trying to host a podcast and you guys are here talking about sixty nine. My God. Anyway, uh, last week's episode, episode sixty eight, which was titled "Writing Rules." Got some really nice feedback. I heard from a, a lot of folks throughout the week. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, uh, you all really seem to enjoy episode 68, which makes me terribly happy. Because, you know, it's one of those episodes that after it was done, I felt really good about it. I felt like I had accomplished what I set out to accomplish in terms of, uh, you know, talking about writing. And specifically talking about writing rules, so... It's always a really nice thing when uh 
when 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 you can accomplish something creative feel like you hit the mark creatively and then beyond that have the audience that you presented to also respond to it in, in a positive manner so um so i'm really happy about that if you haven't had a chance to check out episode 68 then you should probably do that but but don't do it yet because clearly you're in the middle of listening to episode 69 okay i heard you back there laughing i thought we were over this okay 69 are we good are we done is it out of your system all right uh i've got a great guest this week and uh and i'm going to tell you all about him but before i tell you about my guest this week i actually have uh i have a very special announcement to make regarding next week's episode so so here's the thing along with my podcasting duties here at the marginless trap show podcast hour i'm also the author of the newly released and number one best-selling novel the vampire the hunter and the girl and because i've been pulling double duty lately or really more like triple duty or quadruple duty or whichever whichever duty is bigger than that okay i know you heard me say duty and whichever duty is bigger than that i swear to god you guys are you guys are like children this week be cool i'm trying to make a special announcement anyway uh you know beyond my beyond my duties as the as the host of this podcast uh, I've also been, you know, really busy promoting my new book, making appearances. Uh, I've, I've also, you know, been preparing book two for publication, which, you know, takes takes a lot of time and effort. And also when I can find time in between all of that other stuff, I've also been working on my new novel, which I talked about a little bit last week, which is my 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 circus novel that has a little bit of light fantasy weaved into it. So uh, so that being said, because I have been terribly busy, uh, I'm not going to be available to host next week's episode. So, so there it is. Uh, unprecedented. Never happened in the history of the Martin Strap Show podcast hour uh, that I've not been available to host an episode of this podcast. Now, notice I did not say there wouldn't be an episode next week. Because, because you know, as they say... Wherever they say it, I don't know where they say it. The circus, maybe? Broadway? Hollywood? I don't know. But you know you know what they say. They say the show must go on. And this podcast is no exception. So even though I'm not going to be available to host episode 70 of the Marginless Trap Show podcast hour, there will be an episode. So right now you're asking yourself, how in the world are we supposed to have an episode of the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour if you're not there to host it, Martin? My guess is that's what you're asking yourself. Well, here's the answer. For the first time in the whole history of this podcast, there's going to be a guest host. You're going to have a very special guest host sitting behind this very microphone hosting this very podcast in my place. And I don't know about you, but I'm actually very excited about it. I'm, I'm very excited at the prospect of, of uh, well, frankly, seeing how it all works out. Now, I suspect your next question is, who is it, Martin? Who is this very special mystery guest host? See, you didn't know it was a mystery, but now I'm letting you know it's a mystery. Because in order to find out who the guest host is, you're going to have to tune in next week. 
I can promise you this, though. Whoever it is, you're going to be very happy with the guest host. I can promise you that much. And even more importantly than who the guest host is, I'm curious to find out what they have in store for episode number 70. Because that's a big one, episode number 70. As you know, as, as you loyal listeners of this show know, I, you know, in, every time I have an episode divisible by 10, I feel like I need to do something extra special. I always feel like something of a benchmark. So episode 70, you know, that's another big one. So, you know, that episode's going to be in the hands of a guest host. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping they've got something good in store for you. Now, as for this week, which, uh, which we've already established is episode 69, my guest is award-winning author, journalist, and all-around swell guy, Michael McCarty. Michael is the author of Modern Mythmakers, 35 interviews with horror and science fiction writers and filmmakers, which is a collection of interviews from horror and science fiction's most influential writers and filmmakers, if you couldn't guess from the title. Uh, but it's a really great book, and amongst the interviews in the book, it includes interviews with Ray Bradbury, Dean Kuntz, Richard Matheson, John Carpenter, John Saul, Joe McKinney, Christopher Moore, and Elvira. And that's literally just a small handful of the interviews in this book. So, again, the book is called Modern Mythmakers, 35 Interviews with Horror and Science Fiction Writers and Filmmakers. And it was, rec- it was, it was just very recently published. This is past February, so it's still hot off the presses. Uh, and if you haven't got yourself a copy of Modern Mythmakers yet, then you should go to Amazon.com and get yourself a copy. However, before you go to Amazon.com, I would I would ask you to please go to the official website of this very podcast, MartinLestrapsShow.com. Once you get there, you're going to find a shop page. Go to the shop page, and then and then click on the Amazon banner. It's going to take you to Amazon. And then once you get to Amazon, do all the shopping you were going to do anyway, which I suspect includes buying yourself a copy of Modern Mythmakers, 35 interviews with horror and science fiction writers and filmmakers. And the beauty of it is, once you buy that book, it's going to be the exact same Amazon shopping experience as it's ever been for you. However, because you went through the official website of this podcast, Amazon, in turn, kicks back a few pennies our way and then we get to take those pennies and reinvest them into the show and then uh, that allows us to make this show as good as we can possibly make it which is precisely what we strive to do week after week after week for the last 69 weeks and and as far as i'm concerned 69 is going to be as good as any any other any other experience that we've had on this podcast so anyway, Michael McCarty, he's a really sweet guy, and I had a really, really great time chatting with him, and I suspect you're going to enjoy listening to our chat. So, if all of that sounds good to you, then let's move on with the show. I grew up in... Uh, a town called Davenport, Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the thing um, that's most famous 
for was uh, that's where Cary Grant died. <laughs> so if there's any old stars that want to die, just come to Davenport, Iowa. We'll welcome you. That's the place to do it. Okay, sure. Exactly. <laughs> Well, hopefully, uh, so, it would be nice. Yeah, if, you know, one day, uh, you know, one day if I'm famous enough uh, to die in Davenport, Iowa, <laughs> I'll consider that a good day. And then when uh, when Cary Grant died in Davenport, Iowa, uh, People Magazine said, and he died. The glamorous Cary Grant died in the unglamorous burg of Davenport, Iowa. <laughs> how how dare they? Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I lived there most of my life, um, at least the first thirty years of my life. And then now I, I moved across the river. I'm living in uh, Rock Island, Illinois. And Rock Island is famous for the original Blues Brothers, their first record. They said, live from Rock Island, it's the Blues Brothers. Dun, 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 dun. I don't want to play copyright. <laughs> I don't want you to get stuck with the copyright infringement. Music is we could give away for free. <laughs> but yeah, the original record, they said live from Rock Island. And I guess the mayor said, Oh no, we're, we don't want to be associated with something hip. So they, <laughs> so uh, uh, Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi, after that, retaliated by having Fred Gwynn, male prostitute, as a skit on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so Davenport, Iowa. Uh, uh, is was that a big town that you grew up in, or? Um, it's about a hundred thousand, so it's not a really unglamorous burg. <laughs> <laughs> And what was it like there? What uh, uh, what, uh, what what kind of trouble did you get into as a kid in Davenport, Iowa? Um, the thing I I I uh, the fondest memories I had of Davenport, and I, I still it's just you know the Quad Cities people really don't understand it. They understand the Twin Cities up in Minneapolis, and, mm -hmm. uh, and it's like, but the Quad Cities is actually two states and four cities, and they're kind of all next to each other. So it's, it's just like the, the Mississippi divides us, Mississippi River. Uh -huh. And uh, so I'm just on the other side of the river now. But on the Iowa side of the river, growing up, the thing that probably influenced me the most in my writing and my early career and everything was working at the Bel Air Drive-In and okay. going to the Bel Air Drive-In. I hung out there a ton of times. And just, uh, I mean, I, growing up, I used to... Uh, live a few blocks away. I used to ride my bicycle during the summer and kind of see movies. Uh, I seen Andy Warhol's Frankenstein in 3D, but I didn't have the 3D glasses. So I was squinting <laughs> there and going, what the hell's happening there? <laughs> it looks like someone chopped off a head or maybe it's a chicken flying. I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> I just needed to get the 3D glasses. But yeah, uh, the drive-in, I worked there for about two years. And seeing a lot of bad movies just really warped me, I think. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, that I think comes to a full circle to one of my uh, books I did not that long ago called Night of the Scream Queen with Linnea Quigley, mm -hmm. who's been in a ton of bad movies. No, 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 really good movies. No, that's great. No, she's done some great movies. But um, she, believe it or not, she's from Davenport, too. Well, interesting. So, I mean, it was, we had a kind of connection. We had a kind of spark right away. So um, we had to end up being destined to, um, you know, write two books together. Yeah. And, yeah. and also yeah. she's one of the people interviewed in Modern Myth Makers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we're definitely definitely going to be talking about that <laughs> too. Uh, so growing up, what kind of a... Uh... What kind of student were you growing up? Were you some like like did did reading and writing was was that something you were drawn to as a kid? 
Uh, yeah, I, I did a lot of um, reading and writing. And and um, I used to, my mom used to buy these little tablets of note, notebook you know, pads, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know, maybe 30 or 40 pages. And I would just write little stories in there. I did all the time as a kid. So from early on, I was pretty much writing all the time. It wasn't good, but I wrote all the time. <laughs> I don't think any of us were when we first uh, put pen to paper. Yeah, my my big claim to fame in early grade school, I wrote this. Um, you're supposed to write a, a fable, and a fable is a story that's supposed to have a moral to it. Mm -hmm. And the, in fifth grade, I wrote this fable about this red frog and a green frog, and they were playing leapfrog, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and they're hopping over each other, and they're going through the meadows, and they go up the hills, and they go across the pond. They're hopping and hopping. And the, the red frog jumps over the uh, uh, green frog, and the next thing they know, it gets hit by a semi-truck. And the moral of the story is, look before you leave. <laughs> so in a fifth grade, I was pretty warped. <laughs> uh, it sounds, and of course, I mean, between the uh, working at the drive-in, writing some warped stories, it's not uh, it's not too crazy to believe that you would eventually become the, uh, the prolific uh, horror author you would eventually turn into. Now, uh, what... Did you, I mean, uh, outside of the working at the drive-in, uh, mm -hmm. did you, did you just enjoy movies? Like I, I, I assume, I'm, I'm assuming that you were a fan of, uh, horror movies or gory movies or things of that nature. Oh, yeah. I, I used to watch horror movies and science fiction, you know, the, the real low budget stuff where you've seen the string on the spaceship and, <laughs> you know, and the, the worst outrageous it was, the more I just loved it. And, uh, I think that's really kind of what I've been trying to strive to do with my fiction. Just yeah. Be like a really bad B movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you remember, uh, like, was there, was there a moment that you could pin down if you were looking back on it where, you know, where, where you, where you made that leap from, I really love watching these movies. I really love this, this, this funny, crazy, weird horror sci-fi stuff to making that leap of, I think I'd like to create this stuff. I think I'd actually like to write this. Yeah, there was, it, it all kind of came together when I was like in grade school, like in, I think sixth grade. Mm -hmm. It was all, just kind of really stuff kind of uh, all happened then. Uh, in fifth grade, I wrote that, <clears throat> um, you know, the, the fable of the frog. Mm -hmm. So I, I, the seeds were planted pretty early. <laughs> <laughs> and then around sixth grade, around that time, I had my very first published article, which was a newspaper article. Oh, cool. In the school newspaper. <clears throat> And so from that moment on, you know, going from getting published and the, and the school newspaper was mimeographed, you know, and it's like <laughs> had that purple ink on it. And I only wrote a few paragraphs and the, uh, it was about this teacher uh, was um, named Mrs. Stonebreaker. And I, the reason I wanted to do a story about her, because I had the hugest crust crush on her. <laughs> she was my fifth grade teacher who loved that short story, you know, <laughs> a fable I wrote. So I, I, I was in sixth grade. I said, this is a golden opportunity to talk to her again and write a story. And boom, that's where I am today. You know, I'm still writing stories. <laughs> that's um, awesome. Doing articles. But yeah, in that sixth grade, besides that article, which was my first professional, you know, published piece, I also did this dinosaur story, which I showed my English teacher, which they liked. And um and also, it was around the same time that um, 
I was really introduced to Mad Magazine, oh, which sure, really sure. had kind of warped even me further. <laughs> and around the same time, also Famous Monsters Magazine. And I, which um, at that point, it was around issue one, I think 107 was the first issue I got. And um, that also had a big story about Westworld, which was the, you know, big movie at that time, which who was written by Michael Crichton, mm. who, uh, you know, would be, you know, influence <laughs> of, you know, later. Um, even though I did ask, I, I've interviewed a lot of people. I actually almost came really close to interviewing Michael Crichton. Oh, no it kidding. It was really, uh, oh yeah. People don't, I mean, they'll look at my book, uh, Modern Mythmakers and say, oh, that's a lot of good interviews. That's only about 10% of the people I've actually interviewed. Wow. I, I mean, I've had, it's almost over 150 people professionally. And um, I mean, sometimes it's like, if I sit down and look at it and all the stuff I've done, I, I might be blown away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't tend to think about it, but yeah, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people um, in the, in the, in the field, in the science fiction horror field. Yeah. Cause you've done it as far as, uh, as far as being a writer, you've done it, it uh, You've done a lot. I was gonna say a little bit of everything, but really, you've done a lot of everything, from yeah. uh, writing fiction, nonfiction, uh, you know, poetry. Um, uh, you were a, a journalist, right? So how did I mean? Oh, yeah. Where I mean, I, I mean, at, at their core, it's all writing. But what was uh, uh, I don't know. What was the first one where you where you kind of got some traction? Where you felt like the, whether it was your career or something like uh, something was happening? Yeah, I think the very first thing I really took notice was. Um, like in grade school and junior high school and even high school, I wrote for school newspapers. Mm. And I don't know, I felt kind of like they're obligated to do it because it's a school newspaper. So it's like, <laughs> you have to be really good. But um, right when I was going to college, I actually submitted to a uh, professional magazine. It was a music rock and roll magazine. I did a review of, um, I think it was Pink Floyd, a Pink Floyd album, I think. And they paid me and <laughs> you go on, you can get paid for this stuff. <laughs> I was doing it 10 years for free. I didn't realize there was money associated with it. <laughs> and then that just really kind of like, wow, you can get paid for writing. It's, it just kind of blew my little mind there. You know? <laughs> and then uh, I kind of wanted to go beyond the, the regional rock and roll magazine. And, and so I decided you know, and I, I was going to college at this time, too. Where did you and go to so, school, by the way? What was that? Where did you go to school? Oh, I went to school at Maricrest College in Davenport, which is no longer around. It's old folks' home. So I suppose <laughs> I could go full circle again. <laughs> <laughs> so I started in college there. Then when I get old enough, I'll go, let's go retire there, I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I went to uh, – and then in, in college, you have a – um a point where you're supposed to declare your major mm -hmm. if you're going to be you know this major or this minor and i couldn't decide what my major was i had i, I had two splits i wanted half of me wanted to be an english major mm -hmm. you know? um and the other half of me wanted to be a journalist and so i ended up getting a double major english and journalism okay which i advise kids out there do not do this <laughs> because it's easier to do a major and a minor than a double major because, oh, I, it's, it's, it's the horrors. We'll just say the what, horrors. Uh, what was the, uh, uh, what would be a, an example of just like uh, just a really say awful week or a semester or something as a, as a double major? 
Oh, it's like, okay, first of all, you had two advisors. I had an English advisor and a, you know, a journalism advisor. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you know, I was, I was working on the school newspaper, which I had to do for the journalism. Then I was also working for the head of the English department. I was there. I had like an internship. So I was, <laughs> you know, going back between two buildings and, you know, I was like, sometimes I didn't know what I'd go in the, Am I supposed to be doing this thing or am I supposed to? I didn't even know what I was doing. <laughs> I think they just gave me my diploma because I was just wandering around here. <laughs> yeah, you've been here long enough. Go ahead. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. We, you, gotta, uh, you have to move on. Move on. Nothing to see. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Move on. <laughs> So when you uh, when you got out of college, when you uh, you know you're the 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 future uh, future retirement home. Once you graduated from the future retirement home, uh, <laughs> what was the uh, what was the first uh, what was your first job out of college? My first job out of college, um, I, after I graduated Maricrest, I decided um, uh, I was actually doing like an internship with the local newspaper, but. Um, I kind of wanted to branch out. So I moved up uh, with my brother who was living in the suburbs of Chicago. And I got a job with IBM. Okay. The computer company. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, was at that time, after college, was the biggest company in the world. Which is kind of a, you know, kind of strange for, you know, just, you know, here I'm out of college. I end up being with the biggest corporation in the world. (laughs) Um, but it was it was fun. It was fun, and um, and when was I was it, up, what uh, was, was it like? Uh, did it have anything to do with your your uh, your your writing, or was it just a? Oh, absolutely not. Except <laughs> <laughs> so I think my writing, working on the school newspaper, we were using IBM computers and using IBM technology. So one of the programs at the time, a new program was called Ventura Publishing. And they knew all about that, so I was saying that during my job interview. They're going, "Oh, okay, we'll we'll get you a job with IBM doing shipping and receiving." I go, "Sure, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll pay you lots of money." And it's like, you know, I, at this point in my college career, I wasn't making hardly any money. Yeah. <laughs> I was a poor college student, so to uh, actually ten times my income. Just, you know, it's like, wow, this wow. I was like doing rock star stuff. You know? <laughs> I was going from barely getting one sandwich a day to like, you know, going to, a, you know, all you could eat buffet. It was <laughs> exciting times. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Well, so then where then was the, uh, uh, where was that magical transitional moment where you were working for IBM? I suspect you still had the, that Jones to be a writer somewhere in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I was. Um, you only can work and look at computers for so long. And um, at that time, besides doing, you know, working, shipping and receiving at, you know, IBM, I was also on the weekends, I was kind of out performing, doing comedy. Oh, wow. Which, <laughs> I, I, a lot of people don't know that I was a stand-up comedian for a while. I did that professionally. Actually, that, that was a pretty good gig. That's a while. Well, I'll tell <laughs> you, that, I'm going to have to take a detour now. That's fascinating. <laughs> That's not in my notes. So tell me a yeah. little bit about this uh, stand-up comedy. How did that even get started? Uh, back in fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> the fifth grade is, a, you know, but in fifth grade, um, uh, Mrs. Stonebreaker, you know, the one that liked my story, <laughs> was putting on a talent show. And of course, I was infatuated with Mrs. Stonebreaker. So I signed up. I said, I want to be on the talent show. 
and she says, okay. And uh, she says, so come after school. And, and they they had everybody in the gymnasium. And so they're going down to clipboard. So, so what, what do you want to do with the talent show? And everybody was saying, oh, I'll sing. And I'll, you know, I'll do this and that. And I didn't really have a talent. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, um, I'll tell jokes. I'll be, do comedy. You know, because at that time, there was a lot of people doing stand-up comedy on, you know, variety shows. Mm-hmm. I thought, I could do that gig, just stand up and tell some jokes. Oh, it can't be that hard. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's when I first did comedy. Was The first time was in fifth grade. And then, um, I don't know, just for some reason, when I was at IBM, I thought about it again. I thought, maybe I should try it again. You know, I mean, it's only... You know, a few years later, and yeah. so I started. And there's a lot of comedy clubs up in Chicago, and so I started going to different comedy clubs and doing comedy. And they actually paid me money. And That's awesome. It was, like, it was fun. Like, did you start I, doing with the well, like doing open mics, or how did you get your foot in the uh, door? Yeah, I did open mics for a long time. Uh, oh, at least about a year or so. Okay. And I got so I had this kind of weird following that people would. I'd go from comedy club, and I had these like little entourage of people that followed me. It's <laughs> <laughs> because. I was doing some really strange stuff. Um, one of the, well, I don't know if you can see it. Let's see if I can lower it here. You probably, they won't be able to see it, but you have to take my word for it. Okay. Let's see if they, okay. I'll try this yeah. here. I'll let the uh, listeners know what I'm looking at. I might have to lower it a little bit more. Right. Okay. <laughs> We're going back into blood wish. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is my impression of Elvis Presley, the king. <laughs> Imagine me laying on the floor. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the king. Thank you very much. <laughs> and they paid me money for that. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I had some props. I did some musical numbers. I also did music too. <laughs> <laughs> um, this well, is cool. music. It was kind of a little um, weird exclusion into surrealism comedy <laughs> okay how how were you uh you know were did, did uh were you did you feel like you were part of the uh the, the fraternity of, uh, of of comedians were you kind of part of that network uh i did professional comedy at least for about seven years oh wow and uh, uh it led me to get a job as a promotion manager at the funny bone comedy club so i guess i was pretty good <laughs> <laughs> which i did for about another five years so yeah it was it was an interesting um interesting uh way to to uh, get some money <laughs> oh certainly certainly <laughs> because the thing about comedy um is that you either you succeed or you fail right and when you fail it's um you're in a comedy club you tell a joke nobody laughs it becomes really quiet you hear the ice crack. You know, <laughs> quiet it is. You know instantly if that worked or not because if nobody is laughing, then it's not working. <laughs> and then you had to kind of switch gears. Yeah, which is actually it's funny because it's like the complete opposite of writing because you'll oh, write something oh, yeah. and you know you might not find out for years that it's not That's working. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it took me a while to get the two really synchronized because when you're alone in your room on a typewriter or computer or word process or anything, 
you might think it's the funniest thing in the world or the scariest <laughs> thing in the world. And then you, the reviews come in and you go, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> I thought this is a gold, this is golden stuff here. Why is it, you know? But like I said, it's the opposite of, of live performance. Pretty much like this, you know, instantly if it's working. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, okay. So you so you went to college at the uh, at the future retirement home. You got into IBM. Uh, mm-hmm. You did stand up comedy, which <laughs> caught me off guard. Uh, and so all along the way, though, you're still there's still oh, yeah. that little kid in you who uh, who loved horror movies, loved sci fi, oh, yeah, exactly. loved writing. One of the first things I did when I was up in Chicago working at IBM, besides the comedy, was that I decided that I'm going to do an interview with somebody. And get paid for it. For uh, I'm looking for a national publication because I was just out of college. You go, I'm going to be the great, you know, great American writer. No, I don't want to do that. I just wanted to get paid. I want to get in some <laughs> magazine with a staple, you know, and a byline and, and a check. That was my goal <laughs> to get a check and a byline, and I could cut it out and throw my scrapbook. And and so um, when I was up in Chicago, I was like, well, they always tell you write what you know right. and. I didn't know them very much, <laughs> but I did know science fiction and horror. And up in Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago, was a science fiction writer named Frederick Pohl, who uh, used to be the editor of If Magazine. Uh, he helped Isaac Asimov get started. Wow. Huge in the science fiction world. And I love Frederick Pohl. I had all, almost most of his, at least half of his books. He's written over 100 books. I probably have about half of them. And I'm going, I got to track Frederick Paul down and interview him for some magazine. And so I kind of found, I sent him a letter saying, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I just got out of college and I want to do the interview for a magazine. I don't know what magazine. And it would give me a break, you know, and he wrote back, sure. It's, it's 20 minutes. I'll, I'll, I'll let you do an interview. And uh, so I interviewed him, and, and it ended up being my profession, my first big publication, which was in Starlog magazine. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, just, you know, 10 years ago, before that, I got a small check for a rock and roll magazine, a regional thing. The next, you know, 10 years later, I'm in a uh, world-renowned science fiction magazine. It just the progress that went from, you know, that. That's just, awesome. That's <laughs> as far as... Uh, you know the uh, yeah. like getting paid as a journalist and you know, doing interviews like this and getting into different magazines. What uh, was it uh, ultimately? Was it were you were you just freelance and trying to pin down oh, interviews? Yeah. And I, I freelanced professionally for about twenty five years. Oh wow! I mean the the science fiction. You know I have over one hundred and fifty science fiction fantasy things, but that is just like a small section. I kind of. Uh, <clears throat> There's this book called The Complete Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, I kind of think my writing is a lot like that because he's really known for the science, I mean, his horror short stories and poems. But really, if you look at what he's done, the body of his work was so much more. <laughs> he's done essays and articles and, you know, he did reviews and that's what is he's making his money on. The, the this other stuff, what he's known for now is was stuff that he really liked doing, but he didn't get really much paid for. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So I can't imagine. I mean, so being a freelancer for for twenty five years. I mean, was it like in my mind, it would be? I imagine it would just be this this constant 
you know, a wave of, of stress of when's the next job, when's the next paycheck coming or, or, or did you gather just a certain amount of momentum where just jobs would eventually, you knew that there'd be a paycheck coming? Um, I kind of did it as a side. I, okay. did a, I, I would always have a day job and, you know, and, and some of the checks, you know, from the magazines, um, yeah, I appeared in a role for a men's magazine, Four Figures. That was just, that blows me away. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then, um, you know, so you would have a paycheck for $10 and you get a paycheck for four figures. And you really put the same effort in the one for $10 as the four figures one. It's just, it's kind of, <laughs> kind of blows your mind a little bit thinking that, you know, why are they only paying me 10 bucks for this? And you know, too much money for that, but you can't really think of that. You just have to do your best job every time out. And, and, uh, that's how you keep on getting the work back. Cause, uh, you know, it's like you did a good job and they get another assignment. And, yeah. Now when you were, you were a staff writer for science fiction weekly, was that, was that, uh, an extension of your freelancing or, or was that just like an actual, well, actually I was a staff writer there. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't, I, I really think I owe a lot of my, um, you know, if I ever become super rich and famous, I, I think I have to pay it back to a, a certain writer. And that writer is Neil Gaiman, uh. who's really helped my career so much. I don't think he knows it, but he helped me <laughs> so much. Because the first thing he helped me about uh, was, was Science Fiction Weekly, because I needed a big name to kind of get, you know, oh, I'll do a big name interview and, you know, maybe they'll like me. And yeah. and I... Um, I was actually stalking Neil Gaiman. <laughs> I seen him at this convention, uh, the World War Convention in Denver. Then after that, just shortly, I seen him in um, uh, uh, this book signing in Minneapolis. And after that, I was at the World War Convention in Chicago. And this was a short uh, period. And I think he's just like, oh, I better do an interview with him. He's following me. <laughs> but uh, Science Fiction Weekly liked the interview with Neil Gaiman, and then they uh, hired me as a staff writer, and I did that for about, oh, close to about uh, eight years. I did the actual last article they had in their magazine, which uh, is one of the interviews in um, Modern Mythmakers. That's cool, because they were the uh, the official website of the of the Sci-Fi channel, which is pretty cool. It was, uh, it was uh, I think it was probably one of the, the pinnacles of my writing career as a freelance writer, as a professional writer, because it was literally all around the world. Yeah. Because it was the the website of the Sci-Fi Channel. And every Friday night, I'd just watch it because they'd run commercials. And next week on Sci-Fi Weekly, will be an interview with Ray Bradbury. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't say me, but it was just like, oh, they said my name on TV. (laughs) Yay! So, like, with these interviews, I mean, were they, like, would you say, you, you talked to Neil Gaiman, and then you went and wrote the interview, or would you would you present them with an audio, or what, what was it? Um, it was, uh, it was written interviews, yeah. Okay. At, just at, now I'm just curious, like, if, if uh, when you take an interview, so when you interview Neil Gaiman, who, uh, uh, you know, just one of the biggest writers in, in the world, so then if, so when you go to Science Fiction Weekly, and say, I did an interview with uh, Neil Gaiman, do they are do you know are they skeptical at first like how do they how do they decide that you are um, not you know <laughs> yeah, they, uh, the editor of uh sci-fi weekly was this uh man named scott edelman and um scott scott Nini. okay <laughs> he he had this other magazine i think it was called science fiction age and um he, he was the editor of that and before that i was 
uh, trying to get an interview with Ray Bradbury published in his magazine. <laughs> and, and he just said, oh, I can't, I'm booked up for the next year. So he knew me then. So no, I mean, he, we knew each other. When he went to Sci-Fi Weekly, I, I immediately contacted him. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, no, I had a pretty, you know, I mean, if you look at my whole body of work, I had interviews with so many people. Everybody kind of, I mean, I became this kind of, in, in the uh, 90s and the early 2000s especially, I, I kind of became this really kind of specialized interviewer in the science fiction and horror fields. Mm -hmm. And people knew me. I mean, it was, I mean, it was really weird. <laughs> I mean, just uh, one of the people I interviewed for Modern Mythmakers was um, uh, was this uh, John Carpenter. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he originally um, was looking at my book Giants of the Genre, and he's like, "Oh, is it at?" He called me on his cell phone, and it's like, "Is it at the so and so bookstore?" And you know, it was like in Los Angeles. And I go. Maybe. <laughs> and he's like in line. He goes, Oh, there it is. And then I hear him ringing it out. It was like, so weird. That's <laughs> so cool, man. My book and ringing it out at a cash register is, is still a very surreal moment of my life, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. So, so, so you've got this book, this new book, Modern Myth Makers, the full title, Modern Myth Makers 35 Interviews with Horror and Science Fiction Writers and Filmmakers, uh, recently published February 2015. So just uh, you know, as we sit down here to chat right now, that's just about a month or so ago by uh, Crystal Lake Publishing put the book out. Um, so uh, as we're talking, it sounds like this wasn't necessarily a book that you sat down and wrote, but it sounds like an accumulation of interviews you've done over the years. Exactly. That that's it in a um, that's it in a nutshell. I think you know I've I've done so many interviews, and and you probably kind of relate this too when you do interviews with someone you feel like a kind of a connection you know mm -hmm. or a spark yeah. and um, and like a lot of bands like your favorite band will put like a, a greatest hits together you yeah. know like a greatest hit cd this is the you know the, the best of the band and this is their music and this is their best stuff and and that's what i basically kind of did i took anything i found a spark in yeah and all the sparks i put together in one book and I'm surprised that the uh, trade paperback hasn't caught fire because there's so many sparks in that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just a just a just a few names that you interviewed: Ray Bradbury, Dean Koontz, uh, John Carpenter, John Saul, Joe McKinney, uh, Elvira. My God, Elvira! I could probably I, I should have started there. I love her, Christopher Moore. <laughs> <laughs> I I was at uh, I was at uh, Kamikaze in Los Angeles, the uh, comic book convention back in November. And um, uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to meet Elvira. So, and of course, her line was you know around the building for everybody who wanted to, <laughs> wanted to meet her. And so I happened to uh, I, I, it was a Sunday Sunday afternoon. So that's the the day where the uh, the the convention gets a you know slows down a little bit. So that the line wasn't as long. So I went to go just kind of I didn't even I think I was too shy to meet her. I just wanted to go just in the area to kind of see where she was at. And uh, so she wasn't. She wasn't in her full uh, Elvira garb. She was just in her sort of a civilian uh, getup. And I was like, oh, "Holy shit! She's how old is she? She's gorgeous. She. I, I, I thought she was gonna be like this old woman. I have no idea how old she is, but she. She's uh, in her sixties. She. I. I wouldn't be surprised to find out if she's part vampire. I was. <laughs> well, I was when I uh, called her up to do the interview with her. Her people were like, "On you got fifteen minutes." <laughs> Not a minute longer, and I said, "Okay." And 
you know, in, in this business, you kind of hear that a lot, you know? Yeah. I had uh, Dan Curtis, uh, one of the people also I interviewed, the creator of Dark Shadows, um, you know, he said the same, his people said the same thing. 15 minutes, not a minute longer. <laughs> Terry Brooks, who's a fantasy writer, his people were saying, 15 minutes, no longer. All these interviews ended up a lot longer. <laughs> it's like um, Elvira, uh, Cassandra Peterson, um, was doing the same thing. She was like, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Keep on asking questions. Keep it going. <laughs> Sweetest gal. I, I, she had me, um, that was one of the interviews I really enjoyed a lot. You know, because she's just that energy you, you know, you sense from her, her movies or her hosting the TV series. Yeah. It's just, she, I mean, it's just came right across. You just felt it instantly. You That's know? awesome. That's awesome. Now, the, uh, uh, so the book itself, it was published by Crystal Lake Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and they're great. They do, uh, they do a whole lot of stuff with, uh, with, with, you know, I think primarily horror, but I'm sure they, they engage in other things, the horror sci-fi. Uh, how did you come to work with Crystal Lake Publishing? Well, I, I actually, uh, just kind of, the kind of, uh, the very first thing I ever did with them actually was this guy named Paul Kane. Okay. He had this book called Sleeper. has like a S is in kind of parentheses, I guess. It's kind of sleeper. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and um, he, uh, I'm a big fan of Paul's and I just love, he's a, this English horror writer, mixes humor. I, I really like his stuff. And, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he wrote a blurb for my book, Return of the Screen Queen, you know, my uh, book with Linnea Quigley. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to do the same. I felt, you know, kind of obligated, you know, it's like, well, you know, you did it for me, maybe I should do it for you. And I'm a big fan of his work. I, I wrote a blurb for another one's book. But I said, sure. And this was a book published by Crystal Lake. And and I uh, wrote the blurb for it. And uh, I got the, the copy of the book. And I was like, wow, this is just a great book. And I heard they were putting the, together this nonfiction book called Horror 101. And I said, oh, I got something for that. I threw it in there. And the next thing I know, it's like... Um, I said, you know, maybe I should publish a book with these guys because I just like love the work they're doing. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of talked to Joe uh, Meinhardt, who's the, the publisher, and I, I, I pitched this idea of this, you know, book, and he's like, eh, no, that's not, no, no that's not it. And um, can I kind of backtrack real quick? By all means. <laughs> okay, we'll hit the rewind. <laughs> 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 a couple of years ago, I did this book, a nonfiction interview book called Conversations with Kreskin. And let's uh, say my Okay. So uh, at the moment, listeners, I'm watching Joe dig for a book. Oh, let's see. Can you see that? There, Conversation with Kreskin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. I didn't know why I didn't just look at my my drawer. <laughs> this is a signed one, and he I had him sign it. I'm giving uh, this is going to go to a charity. A oh, children's cool. That's awesome. Auctioning off, we'll go both sign it. Should have looked inside my desk, <laughs> but my my desk it is scary. It is the scary desk. <laughs> there might be some body parts in there. It's just scary. <laughs> but a couple of years ago, I did this book, a nonfiction book called Conversations with Kreskin. And um, the 
the thing about the book is it's just just me interviewing the amazing Kreskin about his life and just anything. We did a we did an entire chapter. One of my favorite chapters in the book is actually about the great Houdini. Okay. And I actually had to stop it. I'm going, yeah, I told Kreskin, I says, we gotta stop, or we're gonna make this the great Houdini book. You know, because <laughs> pretty much like asking questions, I was up to question number 10. I had 30 more questions and we already I go, this has to end. <laughs> Uh, but um, the the book really uh, did really well. People loved it. It was at the time it was the most reviews I've received on on Amazon of positive reviews. And one of the also highlights of my uh, just a uh, just a moment of sheer joy in my life is when the amazing Kreskin went on the Jimmy Fallon show, and he held up the book, oh, and I was wow. like screaming at midnight. Ah! <laughs> and and the sales on Amazon were screaming too. They went from it just it was phenomenal. It just was phenomenal. So I was decided, you know, the, the success of and the secret of that book was that I wanted people to get the feeling that Kreskin was in their living room. Yeah. And this was yeah. a conversation of me and Kreskin, and you're having a couple, you know, chastas, whatever. <laughs> and just, or a glass of fine wine or whatever. And uh, this would be the conversation that you would hear about, you know, if you're sitting one-on-one and hearing kind of what was going on about, you know, me interviewing Prescott about his life. And I wanted people to get that intimacy, that that spark, that that feeling that, that this is not just your typical interview where you're just going to say, blah, 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 you know, because I find a lot of interviewers, I think what, was also the secret of my success during my freelance career is that I, a lot of people found the two camps. One was like the fluff, which he just, you know, <laughs> he just put the froth on the latte, you yeah, know, yeah. just ask real fluff questions, real, you know, just, just turn on TV. You can see that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, right. A lot of TV journalists is fluff, you know, um, or it was the opposite. It was the cutthroat, you know, why did you have an affair with so-and-so? You know, it's like my interview I wasn't didn't fall in the fluff category and then not fall in the attack category. Mine was the nuts and bolts of their of their literary books, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I was treating them like, you know, professionals. I was going into examining why, you know, plotting works, uh, you know, characters and you know, just the whole um you know, the, the blueprint of why fiction, um, so just a blueprint of how a book works, how mm-hmm. to write a book, how to market a book, how to, um, you know, to avoid writer's block and, you know, just kind of writing questions mm-hmm. and, and writers like to hear that. They don't want to hear the fluff and they don't want to be attacked. <laughs> so I think that's why I got a lot of, you know, interviews because, um, I really was concentrating on their work instead of, you know, their reputation, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like I was saying that, you know, before, uh, I mean, along with your, your journalism, I mean, you've done a lot of, you've got into a lot of different genres and fields of writing, uh, including, you know, fiction. And so, uh, you, you, uh, you co-authored a, a novel called monster behind the wheel with, uh, Mark McLaughlin. 
mm-hmm. who he's a he's a uh, collectively you guys were uh, finalists for the Bram Stoker Award, if I'm not oh, yeah. mistaken. Uh, and then you know Mark uh, Mark McLaughlin, he he won the Bram Stoker Award uh, uh, mm-hmm. for one of his uh, earlier works. So you guys mm-hmm. worked together. Uh, you pub- wrote this book, Monster Behind the Wheel. It was published by a. Uh, Corazon Press in uh, 2008. I hope I'm not getting my my dates wrong. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And uh, so so uh, well, go ahead and uh, you know if if you want to take a few moments to to, to talk about that book. What's that book oh, about? Okay. Well, sort of uh, my very first book that I got published um, wasn't the blank book I was planning on getting published. <laughs> <laughs> I was for ten years I was trying to get my first book published, and the very first book actually. And it was really strange. And my very first book I, I was writing was called Liquid Diet. It's a vampire novel. Mm. And I was writing it and sending it out and, you know, just getting nowhere after 10 years. It was actually, Liquid Diet is sort of my satire of Anne Rice as an interview with the vampire. Okay. Kind of, you know, and it's uh, sort of pretty much like this show. It was this interviewer uh, this radio person was interviewing this vampire uh, and there was unlike interview with the vampire it was in real time and there was commercials and there was callers and <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty pretty wild yeah and the amazing creskin actually appears in that book oh the amazing creskin is a character in the book <laughs> uh, and uh so i i tried for a long time and um I, i'm uh i was talking to one day with bentley little uh, who's also in, in Modern Myth Makers. Okay. And um, I was telling him, man, I've, you know, I've been trying 10 years to get this book published, and I'm just not getting anywhere. And he gave me the greatest advice. He says, move on. You know, <laughs> get this book, go try something else. And going, and that really occurred to me, going, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. You know, <laughs> if you hit a brick wall or something, you know, if your project comes to a halt, you can't just keep on hitting the brick wall. You have to kind of go around it and try yeah. something else. So I decided to write, I go, okay, well, this novel didn't work. So I'm going to write this novel. And that novel was Monster Behind the Wheel with my friend, my good friend and collaborator, Mark McLaughlin. And um, so Mark and I started working on that book and, uh, and I started sending that out and still nothing. I still couldn't, you know, get any headway. <laughs> so between all that, I decided to do um, a nonfiction book, which ended up being um, Giants of the Genre, my first book published. Okay. And then after that, it just kind of opened up the doorway. Um, my very first fiction was Monster Behind the Wheel. And after Monster Behind the Wheel was published, I got Liquid Diet published. So it's not the things I was planning, the order that you think things are happening mm-hmm. usually doesn't occur. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like everything I was ever planning early on in my writing career with the books, totally the opposite happened. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, what's uh, Monsters Behind the Wheel about? Or Monster Behind the Wheel? Monster Behind the Wheel um, is a book about a haunted 1970 Barracuda. <laughs> uh, there's zombies in it. It is a wild book. I mean, when I I actually started as a solo book, mm-hmm. and it was really dark and really kind of just dark, and <laughs> and then just and uh, I asked Mark because actually what happened is I ended up getting a three book contract with Wildside Press, who ended up publishing my first three books, 
And I just, I just knew at this point I couldn't finish Monster Behind the Wheel because, you know, I was working, I had to do three books, you know. <laughs> you know and so I asked Mark, well, I asked him earlier if he wanted to do the book, and he said no. And I was like begging him, Mark, please do this book with me. Please do this book with me. And and um, when he came into the, doing the book, he brought in this element of humor to it. Mm-hmm. And he was writing all these funny lines and all this and as a comedian, I just couldn't stand that. He was getting all the good funny lines. <laughs> so I had to I had to put in my funny lines. And suddenly this really dark book wasn't quite as dark. So it's still pretty dark, but there's some humor in it too. Oh what's the uh what's that process like of uh, especially I mean the what's the collaborating process like uh as far as writing a novel? Because I mean, I know I know there's uh, other authors have done it successfully. But like I can't imagine how I would even approach that. So what what's that process look like? Well, Mark and I used to joke. We'd write every other word. <laughs> <laughs> he walked down the hall. That's all. That's, that's half the work, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, it was. I would say it's. Um, I mean, it's not as strange as people think because when someone's building a house, usually it's not one person. It's usually you know more than one people and it was, it was pretty much like building a house you know it was like one person was putting up the frame you know for the, the house and the other person was after the wall was done they were painting it and you know putting plaster in the ceiling on it was like we all took different parts of the house you know okay. and uh, eventually it was on <laughs> uh did you guys uh like how often did, you know did you write every day together did you take a section and write um, he take a section yeah, we, would, we would basically kind of Actually, what kind of happened was, it was kind of strange, is that the way we kind of did is because I already started the book, and it was a pretty, um, I, I kind of knew where the middle was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I asked Marcus, says, well, here, I'm right here, and I'm going to go right over to there. Why don't you take the end of the book and meet me in the middle? And so that's what we did. He took the end, I took the beginning, we met in the middle. Then we switched around. I took the end part, and he took the beginning part, and we met in the middle again. And then we just kind of went through it together several times, just sitting um, and together and just say, okay, this works, this doesn't work. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed working with Mark. In fact, we've done a lot of books together. <laughs> That's awesome. And of course, that book, Monster Behind the Wheel, in, uh, in 2009, it was a finalist for the Bram Stoker Awards for Best oh, First yeah. Novel. Yeah, actually, that year, um, Mark and I had two books up for the Bram Stoker. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, we did. We went on either one. <laughs> <laughs> was the other one was uh, it the poetry book? Yeah, uh, Attack of the Two-Headed Poetry Monster. Yeah, Skullvine's Press put that out. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was in Burbank, and I was thinking, well, you know, uh, you know, I think I have a good shot at that. I have two books up for the Bram Stoker. Maybe one of them win. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like my last time up. I had um, Lost Girl Lake with Joe McKinney up. And um, what's the other book that was up? Oh, I Kissed a Ghoul, my young adult book. Okay, and cool. it was the same thing. Two books were up. I figured, oh, you know, I have a pretty good shot at this. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm sort of like, a, I've been a Bram Stoker finalist five times and haven't won yet. I'm, I'm sort of the Susan Lucci of uh, <laughs> the Bram Stoker Society. That's exactly the name I was thinking of. I didn't, I didn't want to add to any of your... Uh... <laughs> to, I don't want to add to any 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 anxiety about uh, 
always being a bridesmaid at the Bram Stoker Awards. But that's where it's <laughs> cool, though. I mean, it's. I mean, I guess it's. I imagine it's still nice to 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 get into the to, to be one of the finalists. Oh yeah, I mean, just to make it there five times is telling you know, you know that they appreciate my work. Yeah. Not not to win, but they. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I mean, to me, just it's it's an honor just to be on the final ballot. I mean, yeah. it's sort of like it's sort of like the same equivalent as the Oscars, you know. You, you know, even though that, you know, so-and-so movie did not win the best picture, just to be up there, people will check it out. And that's yeah. ultimately my ultimate pleasure from it was that people respected enough my work to recognize it as a potential winner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And hopefully too, like even though you didn't win, just you know, your 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 title being part of this uh small collection of other works, it's gonna put a nice spotlight on it that it might not otherwise have gotten. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, I, I've never regretted, you know, having a book up there for a <laughs> final ballot. Like, you know, I, I I think this is quite an honor, you know, just yeah. to, you know, just to be it next to some of these great, really people I've always admired, and you know, I didn't beat them, but it's <laughs> great to be in the, uh, you know, watch the win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, now just a little bit ago, you alluded to uh, the the first novel that you. You tried to sit down and write and ultimately get published, which was Liquid Diet, a vampire satire. You did eventually get that published in April of 2009 with KHP Publishers. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, how did you end up working with them, and how did you eventually, finally, at long last, knock down that brick wall and get Liquid Diet published? Uh, Liquid Diet um, was, you know, it was completed. Uh, I, I sent it to them, and they liked it, and they published it. <laughs> and, um, you know... It was, I always felt that the story, what I was telling, I really wanted to tell more of the story. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I I was presenting it for a long time to a lot of different publishers. And when I was doing this, this was in the 90s, and all the suits, you know, <laughs> were saying, oh, vampires, they're dead. No one <laughs> likes vampires. Those vampires, who likes vampires? And then... In the 2000s, you had True Blood and Twilight, and everybody, oh, who doesn't have a vampire book? <laughs> so I think eventually it just got published because I wasn't, you know, uh, I waited long enough. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it had to come back around eventually. Right, eventually, yeah. But um, so I, I ended up getting it published with them, and then um, that was the trade paperback, and then um, my contract. I decided I wanted to actually do my whole idea was to do two books. Uh-huh. It's going to be Liquid Diet, and I was going to do this other book, the sequel to it called Midnight Snack. Okay. And so then I hit a uh, Whiskey Creek because the rights reverted back to me. And I says I really want it to be all one book. These two ideas. I have a book, and I want to do the sequel. I want the book and the sequel in the same book. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said sure. So I put it together. It's Liquid Diet Midnight Snack. It's with Whiskey Creek Press. And um, one of the funniest things I had, my funniest thing in that book is I had, actually, I have some live, real live people in the book as characters. You were talking about the Basin Kreskin. Yeah. Uh, Another one of my characters in the book is Joe Hill, Stephen King's. (laughs) Right. And I I know Joe from the conventions, and and I interviewed him before, and uh, he's a really nice guy. That's cool. And uh, so one of the scenes in the book, and I, I had it okay, of course, from Kreskin and Angel Hill, but in the scene is I have my vampire, there's this fanboy, 
the amazing Kreskin and Joe Hill are all in this elevator together. And the first thing Kreskin does is he puts this, oh, I wouldn't ride this elevator because it's crowded and everybody clears out. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just those guys and they're taking the elevator. And this fanboy is talking to Joe Hill and he goes, I'm a really big fan of your mom's. And Joe Hill goes, really? He goes, most people say that about my dad. And he goes, uh, yeah, I have all Faith Hill's records. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, no, no, my mom isn't Faith Hill. But my mom is Tabitha King and my, my, my dad is Stevie King. Oh, he's okay. That's why I call it Vampire Sciatire. It has yeah. humor and, and uh, blood drinking all together. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, but you're not you're not done with the vampires, though, right? Because you're, you write a column called Vampire Mania for Gravesides oh, yeah. Tales. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gravesidestales.com, yeah. pardon me. Uh, tell me about that. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll review movies and books and, you know, just anything vampire. Uh, I, you know, get around to writing. I'll, I put it on there. And, and uh, besides that vampirism, I also have a series of vampire books the, um, from also Whiskey Creek. And it, it starts out with uh, Blood Bloodless and the sequel Bloodlust. They're both co-written with Jody Legrec. And um, we're actually working on book number three, which is a real breakthrough because we didn't even plan book number one. That's awesome. It's like we did book number one, we and I was like begging Jody, please, let's do number two. I got so many great ideas. She goes, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, she's like a historical romance writer, and I'm a horror writer. And she, you know, it's like I, I gave everything I had for the first book, and I talked her into it, and she did the second book. And now we're working on the third book, and I think people are going to be really surprised with the way the, the series is going to you know, awesome. conclude. Now, is that the... <laughs> Is that collaboration process, is it similar to, to Mark McLaughlin and writing uh, that book with him? Yeah, well, actually, this one, we kind of, we work on it together. We'll, you know, she'll do chapter one, and maybe I'll do chapter two, and then maybe both of us will do chapter three. And It's, it's, a, it's a collaboration process, and, um, you know, it's like, definitely, like, with Blood Bloodlust, um, the very beginning of the book, uh, starts out with Marilyn Monroe uh, meeting the vampire, and Jody is the huge, big Marilyn Monroe fan. And I says, "You have to write this." Yeah, and she wrote the Marilyn Monroe section. But that was something you know I, I kind of planned into the storyline. Is that okay? Uh, this is like a hundred-year-old vampire who survived the sinking of the Lusitania, the Hindenburg explosion. And love and romance that could kill anybody. You're not a vampire. <laughs> it's very deadly stuff. There. That sounds awesome. Well, I mean, obviously, you have a an innate love of of vampires. So where, where, uh, where does that come from? Oh, I I think my very first vampire, you know, book that really just um just blew me away as a kid was Dracula. Oh sure. And and you know then of course the Dracula movies. And um, I don't, I'll kind of hint at something. I have a project right now with Mark McLaughlin. Mm -hmm. It's um, Damnation Books is looking at it. We're not going to really say that much more about it. Okay. But it's a uh, Dracula novella and 12 vampire stories with two Dracula short stories with it. And uh, it's almost complete. And I think um, 
they will publish. I'm pretty sure they will. That's it's awesome. just really, it's it's really good stuff. <laughs> that sounds good. I mean, e- even that vague little you know teaser that sounds great. Yeah, 13, 13 vampire stories with three Draculas in it. I think people will pick it up just for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, Michael, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Before I wrap up, though, uh, is there anything, uh, you know, anything you want to just let the listeners know in terms of, you know, work you've got coming up or how they can get oh, in touch sure. with you? Sure. Uh, can, can, I, can I tell one real quick anecdote? Absolutely. Go for okay. it. Because we, you were talking about modern myth makers and we were kind of talking about writers. And and um, one of the, the moments I, I felt when I was doing the modern myth maker book, uh, one of the interviews with it was with the late, great Ray Bradbury. Mm, mm. And, uh, you know, and I was doing this interview with him. And during the middle of the interview, he goes, oh, I, it was a phone interview. He goes, I, I have to I'll be back in one minute, one moment. I have a phone call. I'll be back. And uh, <laughs> he comes like, oh, yeah, we can continue. And, I, and I, he goes, I said, oh, you had an important phone call? Yeah, Steven Spielberg was on the other line. <laughs> he, he told Steven Spielberg to call him back. Oh, uh, look at you. So, Big time in Steven Spielberg. Yeah, he had to, uh, <laughs> I talked to the McCarty guys. Spielberg, call me back later. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this uh, Modern Myth Makers, it's, it's, um, it's a, a book. A, a really, it's a, a, a book. I put all my love into it, and the fans are just loving it. And, you know, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, just really, you know, just check it out. Just look at it. Even if you don't buy it or anything, just look at it. Um, that, that's all I ask. <laughs> and get your pets spayed and neutered. <laughs> uh, all right, Michael. Well, it's been just a, a wonderful pleasure chatting with you, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. Well, there you have it. Michael McCarty. Great dude, right? See, I wasn't lying to you. He's a really, really sweet guy. And he's not only a really great guy and a fine writer beyond that, but as we all learn right at the end there, he's also very concerned about your pet's reproductive abilities. Which I guess is ironic, considering this is episode 69, but either way... Go get your pets spayed or neutered if you're not too busy reading Michael's outstanding book, Modern Myth Makers, 35 Interviews with Horror and Science Fiction Writers and Filmmakers. And while you're at it, uh, if you're not too busy with your, with, you know, you know uh, spaying and neutering and 69 and whatever else you're doing with your pets, uh, go subscribe to the show on iTunes if you're not already subscribed. Um, it, it's a really, it's a really great and free option, especially if you listen to, you know, podcasts on iTunes anyway, because as a subscriber, you never have to remember to look for the show. Just every week there's a new episode and it drops right back into, right into your iTunes listening list or, you know, whatever it's called. And if you're not an iTunes listener, which I know not everybody is an iTunes listener, you can also catch the show on Stitcher Radio, which you can find on Stitcher.com. Uh, if you don't, if you don't have the Stitcher app, or you're not, uh, if you don't have a, uh, a um, I don't know, you don't have to subscribe to Stitcher, but you know, you can sign up for a profile or whatever they call it. Um, you can still just go go to Stitcher.com, and there's going to be a search bar. Just look up 
the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. I suspect you can even just look up my name, just look up Martin Lestraps. Frankly, if you just looked up Lestraps, because as, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm the only podcaster in the history of the world that has the last name Lestraps. So there's a very good chance, you know, you're, you can just put in my last name and you're going to be okay in terms of, in terms of finding the show. Uh, so do that. And, you know, obviously there's always the old fashioned way. If you, if you don't care about iTunes and you're not big on Stitcher radio, then you can just listen to the show on the official website at martinlesstrapshow.com. So you've got a bunch of options and they're all free. That's what I do for you guys. And before I, before I get out of here, I just want to remind you that next week on episode 70, uh, I am going to have a very special guest host. And if, uh, if you feel anything like I do, you are very, very excited to find out both who the guest host is and also what they have in store for episode 70. So make sure you come back next week to see what that's all about. All right. I want to thank all of you for joining me again for another episode of the Martin Lestrap Show podcast hour. And especially for those of you who are my loyal listeners and you've been around, uh, you've been along for this entire ride. Um, I just really want to, Thank you for engaging in 69 with me because, you know, it, it was it was a very special experience and I don't suspect uh, any of us will, will will forget it anytime soon. So uh, so thanks again. And until next time, I will see you on the other side.